This is LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma, and thank you for joining us on Employment Notebook, our look at the important workplace subjects and solutions to any potential problems that you may be having. Now, for many individuals, this could entail having that difficult conversation with an employee, whether it be a minor concern or a more serious issue. To fill us in on how to handle all these tough discussions, we welcome back Jim Weber, and he brings with him 25 years of experience as an employment lawyer and human resources manager. And he actually now conducts investigations, does training and consulting as well. So clearly, he is the right man to touch on a subject like this. Jim, once again, thank you for coming on to LJN Radio. Always a pleasure to have you with us. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you. And another topic that I think people do have in the back of their minds or sometimes in the front of their minds, and that's the idea of difficult conversations. And it could really run the gamut. And uh, we'll get into some details here in just a moment. But is there a way for you with your experience to sort of separate those conversations? One that, you know, maybe they're not that serious, but need to be done versus, you know, all the way to the legal side, I guess, so to speak. Sure. And, you know, I, I think we could divide them probably into three big families of types of discussion. I mean, there's the type that is purely uncomfortable. You're not firing the person. They're not in trouble at work, but something mm-hmm. is wrong. And this would fall in the, the smelly coworker. You have to let them know that maybe they, there's a hygiene issue or their wardrobe selections are not ah, the best. You know, things right. that might feel very personal to someone, but they're not the same as you've been late too often. They're not the same punitive kind of thing. It's sure. you know, more of making the life better for everyone and not a health hazard. <laughs> Another category would be that, you know, what I would call the bad news conversations of, it could be nothing that's the employee's fault. We're having a layoff and your job was, was eliminated to you're not working out because of how you do your job to there's been a complaint about you mm. or things like that. You know, right. things that are more performance and behavior based as opposed to, you know, more strictly personal. And of course, there's an overlap for all of these. Yeah. And then the third one is going to be the type of conversation that could be combinations of both of those other two, but it has a legal, a legal impact to it that what you say could make the difference between being sued and not being sued, or even between winning the lawsuit and losing the lawsuit. <laughs> so I, I'd put them in those three big umbrella categories. Are there different ways that you need to broach those subjects or structure the conversation specifically if you are dealing with something that's of a legal concern versus, hey, you know, we just got to talk about the hygiene side of things. Do you structure it differently? Are there similarities? How would you break that down a little bit? Well, you know, that's the funny thing, I think, is that the structure is very similar, if not the same for all of them. I mean, the one thing that people forget for these difficult conversations or just, you know, conversations with your loved ones at home is we're talking about communication. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people confuse communication with talking. You know, I have to think of the words I'm going to say and what am I going to say to this person? You know, what what do I have to make clear to this person? But, you know, communication is a lot more than that. Communication entails your body language, where your, your eye contact, the tone of your voice, how you're holding yourself, so many things way beyond just your words. I mean, the words themselves are almost the least important part because, I don't know, if I were to say something to you like, hey, you look nice today, that's a compliment. Right. If, I say, if I say, hey, you look <laughs> nice today. While I'm you're, tra- while you're looking going, me up and down. <laughs> yeah, and maybe groping <laughs> you a little bit. I mean, that, there we go, harassment <laughs> land. So the words alone is the context. And for all of these difficult conversations, I think people need to remember to think that when they're giving this talk, Everything is part of the message. And if they are uncomfortable 
because they have to tell the person, hey, you need to use a deodorant. If they look really uncomfortable, it's going to immediately make the other person start feeling uncomfortable before a word is even said. And if it's something with a legal possible you know, repercussion, all the more so. I mean, you just want to make sure that your message is the one you really intended to give, which may or may not be the truth. I mean, it may be, maybe the <laughs> message you want to give is not the truth, <laughs> but you want to be sure that you're not saying, yes, I want you to do this, but you're shaking your head no and telling them you think they're a creep with every other part of your communication. <laughs> So be consistent with that message is what you're saying. I get, yeah, be consistent, but also plan it out so that you don't detour your message because right. you're acting a way that is not true to what you're trying to communicate. Sure. Well, let's get into some details. I know you always have some fine stories to tell us. If we look at the personal side, that uncomfortable conversation, do you have anything there that you could fill the listeners in on? Well, I guess if it's going to be the uncomfortable conversation, I think what I, what I tell my supervisors is to remember that, you know, we're kind of trained when we're communicating in our families to do what's called deficit-based communication, where we point out people's problems so we can help them correct them. Mm -hmm. But it's all from a position of we're close to them, so we can say things that maybe we might not say to someone we don't know so well. Sure. But the problem with those communications are, you know, as human beings, we're programmed to defend against criticism. And so when we use those same styles in the workplace of saying, oh, here's a problem, you need to fix it people naturally tend to get defensive. And so we try to say, let's talk about strength-based communications. And if it's the person is smelly, you know, we wouldn't come in and say, hey, you know, some days you don't smell so bad. I mean, that, <laughs> okay, that's not really a strength. That's just an, you know, it's just like a poor way of trying to enter the topic. But this person probably is very good at many things in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe you, you would open up, you know, try to open up the conversation with something safe, you know, that's not going to make them uncomfortable and isn't going to make you uncomfortable early on, but some safe way to start the conversation that is not misleading. I mean, you don't want to sit down and say, hey, how about that Super Bowl game? Because that's not really what you're going to talk about. Right. You know, you let them know that there's something important, but maybe lead off with contributions they've made or, you know, you know how they're getting so along so well with their coworkers. And you can ease into, well, there is one thing that can make it even better here. And I think setting the tone where you're relaxed and the person is receptive to listening to you would be the first thing you want to do. You don't just walk in and say, hey, we got a problem, you stink. You know, it'd be very, it'd be very quick, <laughs> but it's, you know, they're going to immediately be defensive and it's going to be, now the whole issue is going to be your tone and manner, not right. the underlying message. Now, if this was something, say, a couple of coworkers had told you about this and then you were going to bring this up to the individual, do you reference that in general that, hey, some people had mentioned this or do you just try to keep it as though you are the one that have, has noticed this? It is, it is so tempting to throw the other people under the bus, <laughs> you know, to say, oh, I've never noticed this, but, you know, your real sensitive coworkers, they have a problem. <laughs> they, I call that the lazy person's escape or the, uh -huh. the, the chicken person's escape. If you personally, if you're the supervisor or the lead person, haven't noticed the problem, I tell folks, I said, well, then you need to figure out if there really is a problem or not. You don't just take mm -hmm. the employee's words for it. That's just a sign that there could be one. And, you know, if it's the smelly coworker, that's a pretty easy one to research for yourself. You, you know, <laughs> take, take them a letter or something. Oh, here, I've got this for you. And you take a big whiff while you're there and see, right. you know, oh my gosh, these people have to work by this person all the time. You just walked by if, you know, do you notice it or not? And so I, I would not throw the other people under the bus. What I would instead do as a supervisor is take some personal responsibility for it. It's a communication and I'm the one doing the communicating. So I would, I would say, I noticed this when I've walked over, when I'm giving you things and I've noticed this a few times. 
And other people have noticed it as well, but I wouldn't name names. Mm -hmm. I would let them know the magnitude of the problem, that it's not just me, that other people have noticed. And I would try to do that as quickly and directly as possible so I can get into the, here's what we're going to try to do about it. But with these with difficult conversations, if you put yourself into it and make a lot of I statements, like I have noticed, you know, I observed, I think this is what's happening. Taking that responsibility keeps you at the communication mode right. as opposed to making it an attack mode. I think that's a fair point. Some good advice there. Even uh, finding out sort of on your own if people have come to you and being able to then honestly say, hey, I've noticed this. So I think that is some good pieces of advice there. When it comes to performance side of things, so again, maybe there was a complaint, as you mentioned, or you just need to bring up to them that, hey, you're not really doing the job as you need to. Is that going to be a similar tone when you bring them in? You focus on some positives or do you need to be a little more strong when it comes to that because it is actually performance-based? Do you notice any differences? What's your take? I would still focus on positives within the realm of this conversation because unless this person is a complete and utter loser in the workplace, they are going to have something about them that is making valuable contributions to that workplace because you've kept them there past their probation period. They're working there. If if they were that horrible, you should have let them go their first week. (laughs) So if they're still there, there there are going to be some. And by starting with the strength-based and focusing on what is going right as the foundation for fixing what is wrong, Mm -hmm. we're not putting them on the defensive right away. I mean, it, it, it sets the tone of this is a positive communication. We've got a problem to fix, but it's fixable. And I know you can fix it. And here's how we're going to fix it. And you're not, we're not making it, you know, the, the inquisition, we're not turning it into a shaming exercise. And one criticism I get initially from supervisors, when I talk about this, it's like, well, wait a minute, they did something wrong. Why are we starting off by, you know, pandering to them and talking about what they're doing right? And, you know, it sounds like, you know, new age parenting or whatnot. And I said, well, it's, it's not really this. You are not letting this person off the hook right. by focusing on strengths. You are laying the groundwork to tell them as a supervisor, here's what you have to do to make things better. And then you proceed to do it. But you have a much greater chance of success when you're communicating as opposed to lecturing. Do you think this should always be a one-on-one conversation? Or is there ever a time where you would have a team member in there or another individual that maybe they're the ones that are being affected by the performance? Well, here I would group it based on the type of conversation. If I'm going to have the uncomfortable, you need to bathe more, you need to use <laughs> deodorant, one-on-one just okay. to save their, you know, save their pride and whatnot. But when it comes to performance-based, if it's anything that might fall within progressive discipline or things that are behavior-oriented, the first rule of thumb I tell people is do whatever your company's regular practice is. And if your regular practice is you always have two people in the room with the person being counseled, by all means, follow your rule. And if you're, you know, you have a collective bargaining agreement that says you have to do something a certain way, by all means, follow your own rules. That's A1. But if there isn't a precedent for it, the lawyer in me says, if for any reason you think you're going to need a witness, Ah. (laughs) by all means, have another person there. (laughs) Right. But as an HR and a communicator, I think it's good to sometimes to have the other person there to help watch you on your tone and to be mm-hmm. sure that you are being clear. I mean, between the two of you, you could make sure that there is not an inadvertent miscommunication because somebody is misunderstanding. And it could be as easy as they're a note taker, that they're a part of the conversation. 
I think it is a good thing to have the other person there as long as it doesn't look like you're ganging up right. on the employee here. Because what is hysterical, sometimes I'll get a phone call. We wanted to interview and talk to our employee about their discipline and our HR person and supervisor were both going to be there. And because we were having two people, the employee said they got to have two people. And so because they wanted to bring their union rep, we thought we should bring our lawyer. And so is there a limit to how many people are in the room? And I said, well, that would be a fire code issue, I guess. (laughs) And to me, that's just ridiculous. It's discipline. Here's a conversation. It's not time to lawyer up. And if they're talking like that already, it's kind of a sign you have a more serious problem than somebody who's, you know, not getting enough work done. Right, right. Well, that leads us into the idea of there is a legal concern. Uh, Of course, as you said, there can be some overlap with a number of these different conversations. Does that need to be handled a little bit differently as far as who is in the conversation or what you can talk about before getting into the actual legal side of things? Yeah, it it, it does. And the variables are immense because you could be dealing with an employee who already has ongoing litigation against the company. That happens a lot. (laughs) I mean, not it's not that common, but I've seen it happen a lot. And then how do you communicate with this person? Do they get to bring their lawyer to every meeting or not? But more often what it is, is it's somebody that you know is probably on the path to termination. And perhaps in the past, they've had a complaint about harassment or a worker's comp injury. And you know that based on the track record with this person, they're not going to think they're doing something wrong. They're going to think you want to get rid of them because they complained. You know, they're going to think it's retaliation or something like that. There are certain warning signs for discipline and for termination that I tell people, be very careful about your communications because everything you say might be said in front of a jury someday. And that would be somebody who's had a past complaint or a past, you know, work-related injury. They've had an accommodation for a disability or um, they've maybe taken protected leave of some kind. If they've engaged in any kind of protected activity, and soon after that, you're looking at having a critical conversation that their job could be in jeopardy or they're, you know, a bad news conversation, you want to be very careful about what you say and how you say it so that you do not create even the appearance that this protected activity is why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of statistics that people who may have made a complaint may also be in a discipline situation at some point. It's not necessarily a cause and effect, but you want to make sure as a supervisor, you're not doing things that create the appearance of that cause and effect. Right. I do think a lot of people have that concern that they're going to say something they shouldn't have, or um, they're going to somehow exacerbate the situation. I know just from my experience, when people have been even just let go because of performance or or whatever reason, um, that there's a very much a cautiousness of, you know, make sure you're not contacting them for some reason or doing something like that. And I feel like that's where it's coming from is that concern of sort of stepping over that line and causing a problem. I think, I think that's one big part of it. And I think another big part of it, which is actually a good motivation, but it may not work out well, is that people want to make the other person feel better. Sure. You know, we, not all of us. Some people want to hurt others. But <laughs> most of us, you know, if somebody looks like they're sad or upset or whatnot, we want to try to cushion the blow. Uh-huh. And sometimes by cushioning the blow, we detract from our message because we start saying more positive things than we mean. Mm. Or, well, I, I had one person once that said, well, I know you look so disappointed about this. I know you're thinking this is because of your injury, but I just want to assure you it has nothing to do with your workplace injury. It's like, why did you even bring that up? Right. You know, so a lot of it is planning and filtering. Well, Jim, my time has flown by once again. I wanted to give you the floor though at the end. If okay. you had any other stories you wanted to share, any other tips you wanted to offer up, before we closed out this edition. 
Oh, what a big question that is. I guess plan, <laughs> plan, 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 document, document, document. Um, I don't have another story at the top of my head, but I'm sure somebody will send some to you that we can then talk about later. <laughs> so. That sounds like a plan. I'm sure we can scrounge up a bunch of good ones. Jim, thank you as always. Great information and of course, some fun insight as well. Not really the canned and cliche stuff that you might hear elsewhere. So thanks a lot. I'm happy to hear that. I'm glad to do it. Once more, that was Jim Weber. Check him out at jimweber.net. That's W-E-B-B-E-R.net. And also check out his blog, Evil Skippy at Work. You can get some more great insight from him there as well. It was great once again to have him on our show, talking about those difficult discussions that many of us have to have at one point or another. If you want to give us some feedback about this episode, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com, or hit us up on Twitter, at the LJN. And definitely go check out the rest of our shows with Jim and many other excellent guests. Just check out iTunes and search LJN Radio. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. 